Welcome to the Rooted Business Podcast. I'm Rachel, your intentional marketing architect. I'm Jess, your systems and ops guru. This podcast will talk through our experiences as seasoned business owners, open up about our triumphs and challenges. We'll share candid conversations and invaluable insights to help you establish a business that stands the test of time. Together, we've navigated the ups and downs of running a successful online business, and we know firsthand the importance of finding harmony in your hustle. Each episode, we'll dive deep into the inner workings of your business operations and marketing strategies while we peel back the layers to reveal actionable advice and practical tips that you can implement right away. We've all stopped there. We believe that true success goes beyond profits and the growth charts. That's why we'll explore the critical role of wellness and mindset in your entrepreneurial journey. Because burnout is a real threat and we're here to help you avoid that. Together, we'll uncover the strategies and practices that prioritize your well-being, ensuring you have the energy and resilience to thrive in the long run. Join us as we delve into intentional business growth, sharing personal stories, lessons learned, and expert advice that will empower you to make informed decisions to grow your business. So if you're ready to harmonize your hustle and create a business that thrives while honoring your inner balance, don't miss out on The Rooted Business. Subscribe now and embark on this transformative journey with us. All right. Hello and welcome to a, another episode of The Rooted Business, The Deeply Rooted Business Podcast. <laughs> if you haven't noticed yet, we've had like a slight name change. Um even though we did our due diligence and copyrighted and checked it, we just decided to get ahead of it. And here we are. So now we are not just rooted, we are deeply rooted business. And we are so excited you're here. Today, um, this is going to be a Rachel episode, or she's going to lead it. We're going to be talking about marketing and how to really treat your customers as human beings. I think especially when you're working in the online space, it and you're not seeing and interacting with your customers face to face, it can be challenging to just look at numbers and forget that there is a real live person behind that computer screen, um, getting all of your emails and intaking all of your, your knowledge and all of that. And it can be hard to view the human aspect and not have it get lost in all of the numbers and all of the results. So today we're going to be talking about how to humanize your marketing, um, along with just some practices that um, are commonplace in the online space and what how we feel about them from an ethical marketing perspective um, and what we've seen and work in our clients' business. Yeah, I think this is one of the things that is so important to me, to Jess, how we discuss some of the things that we talk about like offline or off recording of the podcast is how the online space is just inundated with like very bad practices. And when people who are either new business owners or non-marketing, non-sales people come into the online business space, it's so easy to get sucked into some of these practices and not from a place of being malicious, but from a place of just not knowing yeah. what else you could be doing. I think it's really important that we're going to establish the foundation of what ethical marketing and like the components of it are. And then we'll talk through like the customer journey and how you can actually like implement some of these practices in your own marketing so that you don't feel that kind of like ick. 
And I think that's one of the things that I hear the most is that, oh, I don't want to come off salesy. I don't want to come off with that it's like reply to people. And so I think some of these are going to be really helpful to help you remove the ick. Yeah. And I think too, from a different perspective of being an online service provider who implements for other clients, like how to navigate those conversations when your client maybe wants to implement something that they've seen work for other people online, but may not line up with you ethically, like how to navigate those conversations, how to educate your client about those practices and why they may be harmful or why they may not be in the best interest of them or their clients, like, and course correct. And what to do if a client does still want to implement those things and like how to draw your own boundaries and lines. I know for me, a lot of what I do is launch online courses and programs. And it may just be because for my clients, and it may just be because I'm like in that space so much, but I feel like I had this whole revolution last year, probably about this time where I had read actually, get the name right, because I always say it wrong. I had read um, Marketing Rebellion, The Most Human Company Wins. Somebody had just put it on an Instagram story and I read it and I had this whole like, what am I doing? Like the veil had like lifted because I think a lot of the practices that happen are just so prevalent in the online space that you don't even. It's like, oh, this is what we do. Like we use time pricing or we use countdown timers, but not really realizing the like effects or like what's behind those tactics. So I've been definitely exploring um, and learning from others who are farther along in this journey. So I'm going to share some of those resources as well. And I think since Rachel works deeply in marketing has always had a very ethical stance, she's going to drop a lot of knowledge on us as well. Yeah, I definitely agree with the, once you start digging into this space, I didn't like that, or, oh, there's a little bit more transparency over here and I'm vibing with it. You go down this rabbit hole of just how to be better as a business owner or as a consumer, even. I think one of my biggest like revelations was when I was reading the book Influence by Robert Cialdini, I always get his last name wrong, but it talks about like the levers of influence from a marketing and sales effort. And as I was reading it, you just see so many of these practices get essentially like misused. And I think what it does when you're utilizing a lot of these practices for good or for bad, but what essentially it does is removes the autonomy and it removes the choice of the buyer. When you're using things like fake urgency um, or fake scarcity, the countdown timers, you're using very like problematic like messaging, it really does put the person who is in the decision-making spot feel this level of manipulation that I think is really important to be hyper aware of. And my dream, my maybe it's my manifester goal in life is to essentially help people like understand like these kind of like intertwinings of capitalism that like you don't have to always consume because the levers of influence are levering. <laughs> I mean, you could easily take that step back. And I think this episode is really going to be like a beautiful blend of some of our past episodes, the boundaries, the customer journey, a lot of those kind of like 
levels of business where you have to put everything together. Yeah. And before we get into it, because we're going to get into it in just a second, but I do want to just say one thing. When I first started diving into this aspect and viewing my business and my practices, like and my clients' practices, give yourself grace. Like I always say that it's like, it's going to be really uncomfortable at first because you're probably going to be doing or have implemented some of the things that we're going to talk about. And that's just because it's so commonplace in the market, but like coming with it from an open mind, like like when you know better, you do better. Um, And realizing that it's not going to be an overnight shift and you're going to have to like balance like your own business needs and lean into a more ethical way. And it's going to be like a personal choice of like trying to figure out like what feels good for you and what doesn't feel good for you. So giving yourself a grace, this is definitely not coming from like a judge, a judgmental aspect at all. So with that, we're going to get into one of the first principles of ethical marketing, which is honesty and transparency. Yeah. I think the counterpart of honesty and transparency is that bro marketing So it's the people who are telling you to use a certain tone to say you have one spot left when reality you have 10 spots left is to use that countdown to really create that sense of that heartbeat of, oh, I need to take action now, that FOMO type of behavior. And when you're implementing the honesty and transparency values in your business from like an ethical marketing side, it's really being like not lying about whether your program's coming back. (laughs) I think that's one of the biggest things is like, I'm never running this again. And people are like, oh, I need to take action. And then they end up running it six months later because it's their signature program. Um, So I think that's one of those things is really making sure that you're being as clear as possible with your leads, with your ideal client with your audience so that they understand exactly what they're getting and how they can be participating in your business. Yeah. And I don't know if it's just me or I feel like consumers are getting clued into the fact now that this is so prevalent that like whenever I start to see a countdown timer or the charm pricing or feeling like a lot of pressure to by or run in the over in the other direction because I feel like there's enough people in this space starting to talk about those tactics, you know, why they work and how they work that I don't know. I'm just like, get away from me. And I think there's definitely a place to use those things. Like it's not saying like I never use compound timers in any of my my clients' campaigns, but it's like if there truly is like a date that they need to enroll by, then that real scarcity and you're just educating like your client about mm-hmm. it. Arbitrary deadline that you just pick up like, oh, for the next seven days, save a hundred dollars just because I thought seven days was a good number to help you have urgency to buy. So it's like, where do you find the line to use authentic scarcity? Yeah. And I think that's so funny because maybe it's just me as a marketer. I'll go and when I sign up for people's stuff and tripwires, which I'm always very bothered by the tripwire practice itself. I know it's very successful and all of that, but um, essentially like tripwire is you opt in, you get a specific offer for a certain amount of time, which is triggered by a cookie that's launched as soon as you opt in. 
It's maybe something that they have for $100 and they're going to give it to you for $15. And you have this like very short window to do it. And it's hilarious because I think when <laughs> you know the tricks of the trade, all you have to do is just open an incognito browser <laughs> and just re-opt in and you get that deal again. So certain things where it's almost a lot of effort and a lot of people pay a lot of money to get these like practices set up, get these evergreen funnels going. But I just think it's kind of one of those things that you as a consumer may react a certain way. And I think as you become more aware, it might be just something to clock, just something to be like, okay, this is probably just a cookie that has loaded on my cache on my browser. And it's not somebody sitting there going to delete the deal in 72 hours. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, okay, so what else do we have? We have, so we talked about countdowns, we talked about tripwires, we talked about fake scarcity, we talked about urgency. What about, so attracting customers through transparency and honest information? That's kind of our next point we wanted to talk on. I think this one is something we've already talked about a lot. And one of the biggest things in this is the using monetary social proof to show authority or to show like client success. I think this is one of those things that really manipulates someone's choice because if you're driven by, gosh, I was just listening to a podcast on this, like the three factors of pain when it comes to making it's like relationships, wealth and health. That's what it is. And if you're there and you're trying to improve your wealth and you see somebody throwing around, you can make 10K in the next five days if you use these efforts. And uh, that is an attraction method, but has it is not rooted in anything of transparency or accurate information because you're getting a sliver of information and not like we've talked about in the past, like the Black Friday campaigns or like the fake urgency of act now. So I think it's really important that it's like the biggest one there is how not to, not to lead with that, even though, and like, this is where I think you've said it in the past. So it's such a successful tactic because so many people are conditioned to buy certain ways. But as you said, also people are changing their buying behavior. People are becoming so much more aware of certain things. They need like certain criteria in order for them to make a decision. And I think it's just this like trend that's happening, which I'm very, very grateful for. But yeah, I think that's probably the number one way that people attract using inaccurate information. What do you have another thought on this? Well, the only thing, so it's like the numbers only tell one side of the story. So I was listening I'm down this like scammy, it's called Cruel World Happy Mind is the channel that I've been binging lately on YouTube. And she was talking about how a course creator created a successful, uh, how a content creator created a successful course. Um, I think she sold like, $40,000 like on her launch day or whatever, but she was a content creator. So she has a super large audience. Okay. Mm -hmm. So then, and this course was about some arbitrary, arbitrary like topic. And the next course she created was like how to sell your course because I launched this course that made 
$40,000. And it's like, when you look at like behind the scenes, like her course was like $2,000. So really $40,000, but that's 20 people. And based on her followers, she had like a million followers. Really? (laughs) Very low conversion rate. And she had only sold that one course for herself and not for everyone else. So this is why I think if you want to use like I, we love numbers. We love to brag about our numbers, but I think that's why I love case studies, like the why behind the numbers or looking at the deeper number and not just like the sexy numbers like revenue, but what are those deeper analytics of like conversion that we've proved that sort of way um, than just like those, those numbers, because, you know, you can say you had a $200,000 launch, but if you've got 5 million, do- 5 million followers and you're selling a course for 10 grand, then that's really not that great of a conversion. And you might not be in the position to teach other people how to do that if you've only sold one course, which is why I think just hiring an expert that's in behind multiple courses and have seen that can really help you navigate in a better way. But I think so many people, even when you see people like, I always get funny how to, how to grow your Instagram accounts. Like those have the most followers. They're like, I grew my followers this many days. And it's like, well, you're teaching people how to grow on Instagram, which is like probably the most hottest topic on Instagram. No wonder people are following you right now. Um, I just think look like the why behind the numbers are just so important. Yeah, I think another one to add, and this is probably a most frustrating thing, I would say for probably both of us or people who are in the same mindset as us is like the, I don't want to call it like fake authority, but like the people who come out and brand themselves as experts. And maybe in this case, it was this content creator is now a course selling expert And the, because there's certain levers of like vanity metrics. So like they have a million followers, they're saying they made $40,000. That's a lot of money to people who are not court content creators or influencers or whatever. And I think one of those things is as you're growing an ethical, responsible kind of transparent business, you can easily get frustrated. Well, why are they believing this person who is like obviously not the real deal, who is obviously using levers of manipulation to get their business working? And it could be easy for people who are maybe in the same value set as us, where it's like, I could easily just put expert at the end of this. <laughs> and maybe then people will think, but I think the long run here and like the longevity of running your business is sticking to your values and showing your authority through your education, through your knowledge. And the people who will see beyond the smoke screens and the smoke and mirrors and all of that will flock to you in a transparent, authentic way, instead of the ones who are going to still maybe not that far. And this is why I always like to say like far enough in their journey to be aware of the manipulation tactic. You know, maybe they have to get burned once or twice before kind of sit there and reflect, oh yeah, that's not how I want to be spending my money or the people I want to spend their money on. I think it's very frustrating for people who want to do better when you're constantly competing with people who are 
essentially misusing the laws of marketing and that's never going to change. Yeah, I think it's all about standing in those universal principles of abundance and service and that if you truly have a service heart and that's your goal is really to help up uplift others than just trusting that the universe is going to reward you with prosperity, which is funny because this was my card this morning. Prosperity. So it says your material needs are provided as long as you follow your intuition and manifest your dreams into reality. So that was the card. All right. Moving on. Pricing. Let's do fair pricing and value, and right. then we'll go to the last one after. All right. Fair pricing. I've gotten burned by this before, so I have, I have stories. <laughs> yeah, same. I've paid a lot of money with for someone who was supposedly an expert and gave me, it was like a sales expert, and essentially just gave me like a list of 20 things that I need to do on an everyday basis, and it was all spamming people. And it was, I'm like, I paid how much for this? This is the worst decision I've ever made. And I take full responsibility in allowing my decision or my like FOMO or need for money to influence that decision. But yeah, I think, oh, this one's a, this one's a meaty topic. It was a program that was advertised as a high touch program. And probably the first red flag should have been when I hopped on a discovery call, I wasn't actually talking to the program creator, I was talking to a sales associate Mm -hmm. for the program. So I'm like, wait, I'm not even getting highly touched in the sales process. (laughs) So how am I going to get highly touched in the program? I should have known. But like, I legit asked this sales associate, like, this is where I'm at currently in my business. I want to make sure that this is right for me. These are my concerns that I have. This is like what I know about myself and the support that I need. Does your program offer this kind of support? Mm-hmm. And the sales associate said, yes, but of course they're getting paid off of commissions to sign me up. So I got into the program and I quickly realized that it was not high touch. Surprise at all. Um, and I'd already made like one or two payments, which were pretty substantial, but I had like a good chunk to leave. So I emailed this person with my like screenshots of their sales page and like how I, what I was experiencing in this program was not what they were offering yeah. or was not high touch. And the person wrote back and they were like, high touch is an ambiguous term. So what does it mean to you? And I'm like, if you know, it's ambiguous. Why are you using it on your sales page? Yeah. Like, so long story short, I did not get my initial investment back, but I did not have to pay the rest of the program, which would have been a lot. And the sad thing is like the contents of that program were actually really good and valuable, but Mm -hmm. it did not line up with the price point of what they were trying to charge for like high touch. So like this person knew their stuff and what it looked like had happened is like they had a successful, like either one-on-one offer or small group program and that they were trying to scale to like a larger audience so they could make seven figs. And some of the value of that got lost in the translation of trying to reach more people. 
Yeah. It's a lot in the programs is like, you'll have a successful one-on-one, you're able to get clients results, you use those testimonials when you like, push it into your group program, but you don't have the systems set up to be able to support the same kind of transformation that you can give one-on-one or small group when you're like trying to deliver to the masses. Yeah, I think that's one of those things that people will pay for custom answers, which is why one-on-ones and done for you is so successful. But when business owners are trying to scale the enticing behavior of trying to turn a one-on-one to a group, a lot of that does get lost. And there's so many people in the online space that will pay the value of a new car for programs that are essentially group programs that it's minimal touch. Well, not minimal touch, but but like certain areas are just not worth $20,000, $15,000. And there's so many people in this space. Like I remember one time when I was in the same mistake of a a sales program that I was in, the person was like, don't let them get off of the phone call without a yes. And so you keep talking to them and talking to them. And immediately, as soon as she was saying that, I was like, yeah, don't vibe with this. This is not at all how you should treat people when it comes to sales conversations. And I think that this is where Everybody, like I've heard horror stories of people having to take out loans, people opening up new credit cards in order to afford the online pricing um, for online business owners. And it's one of those things that you can charge your worth or your value or whatever, but there's a very strategic pricing strategy that comes with charging what people can afford, charging what ethically is market value and really being competitive in that sense and not just draining people's sales or savings accounts because you can. I mean, I, the, the part that really just bothers me, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Yeah, it's a very fine line of it has to be an energetic match for the output of work you're putting out because so many people are like passive income, passive income, you know, do a course, do a group program, that sort of thing. But it's like there still has to be an energetic match for that level of output like that you're putting out. And then that person's going to receive as far as just for your money karma to be okay. And it may work short term, but I think I truly believe that long term, everything is going to come back around. And that if you want to build a sustainable business for the long term, you have to get make sure people you're energetically matching those people. Because if not, maybe people aren't talking about it outward openly about your company, your business, your offer, but behind closed doors, they're having Mm -hmm. conversations. And eventually all of those conversations are going to catch up with you and you're going to find that your offer is not going to sell as well as it would. You got to think about the long-term benefits when you're pricing. You may be able to get $10,000. Like when I hear people pay like $10,000 for stuff that's not done for you. And I'm like, like knowledge is only like one, I would even say one small percent of what is going to you successful because there's so much other strategy and like implementation know-how that could, that you can get by investing that same money to like an expert work, work with you one-on-one or in a smaller container. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think that there are so many 
there's so many done for you service providers who will feel that sentiment of how can someone pay five, ten thousand dollars to a coach who is only giving you that knowledge, which for me as a service provider, I know that I can give you all of the knowledge in the world, but if you do not implement, it's pretty like worthless to your business, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's just a strategy sitting on a piece of paper someplace. And it's the online struggle. And one of my friends actually just made a post about this of like, how could you even question a price tag of a service provider who's doing it for you, (laughs) who is literally implementing in your business compared to these coaches who have mastered their marketing to be the value of this is going to take you to the next level, is going to give you so much money. And then when you don't actually have that turn, it's, oh, you weren't aligned for it, or you have a mindset block, or something's holding you back. We need another session. (laughs) Like a Facebook group for their group program. I did not purchase the program. A client bought it and wanted me to implement. And I just hang out in there to see what they have. But it's supposed to be a Facebook group where he has coaches in there giving you support to your question. And literally anytime anyone asks a question, they like turn it back on them and like, what do you think that is? And I'm like, no, just give them the freaking question. This isn't like a code, give them the answer. It's not like a, they're trying to push back a mindset. It's like literally logistically and strategically, they need to know what is happening. So yes. Oh, the pain of being a little service provider when these coaching, when you know a client is paying $10,000 for a month for a coach and you're like, trying over here and they're like questioning your price point and you're like doing all of the work. I remember doing a launch and like my client had a coach that was coaching her through her mindset stuff. Okay. You need it. Like if you need that, go for it. And then like I, because I'm an online business manager, I know all the expenses. So it's like literally my expenses and like the credit card fees were like the same. Like I made them same money as the credit card. Okay, this is when I know I need to be charging a little bit of work because I'm doing all the work. You're asking questions and the credit card company is just sitting there and like, oh my God, that's the best thing I've heard all day. (laughs) Raise your prices. (laughs) Okay, so actually how to not be manipulative with your pricing, I think is one of those things you can totally embrace like embracing the customer journey, embracing customer lifetime value. If you're an e-commerce brand, you can average order value. Like those are your metrics you want to focus on because instead of hoping and wishing that the person who's paying you $10,000 gets the value out of it, or instead of being like, I want to make $100,000, but I only have an offering of 10K, I need to get these people in it. You can really play the long game where if you have a proper customer journey set up, like it's a year long, like steadiness in your business. If you have someone come in from a low, a low ticket offer, upsell to a mid ticket offer, and then upsell to a high ticket offer. It's not that they're sitting there and saying, Oh, low ticket. Here's my credit card again, mid ticket, high, whatever. You're taking one lead. And instead of having them swipe their card with you one time, you're nurturing them over the span of six, 12 months 
to be that full term. So instead of you having to get one client or one lead that's going to spend $10,000 with you, you can have one lead that spends multiple times with you that adds up to 10,000, but you have to deliver on the value. You have to provide a proper experience that gets them from point A to point B. I think that if business owners just implemented the customer journey into their strategy, into their marketing plan, that they could see that it's actually a lot more sustainable to separate those big charges and pull people through. I was talking to someone the other day who sells high ticket pricing, but doesn't have any form of low ticket in there. And I said, you could actually significantly improve your yearly revenue if you just created something between the one and three month incubation period, instead of making them sit in your audience for six to eight months, if you just captured them initially with a lower ticket item, one, you're gonna make more money out of them because they're already converting at this higher amount, but two, you're gonna support them throughout their entire journey instead of just hoping they get there eventually. I feel like the pressure, so since we've been talking, because probably up until, I've had smaller offers, but I really haven't implemented this customer journey until we really started doing our podcast and we're talking about this on a regular basis. So the summer I worked to break out my big retainer until different steps in the customer journey and the like pressure that it relieved of trying to one, not having to get this person to sign up, you know, a $10,000 offer right up the jump. But also I love to call them dating projects because I'm like, let's just have a little date. Let's just start with a strategy session. I can get to know you. You can get to know me. And then we can decide if we want to, if we enjoyed this, how I can support you further. And that just feels like such a better fit for me. It's so much less pressure. It feels like more aligned with how I operate. Um, And because I know I'm able to deliver, like I don't even have to sell. Like I literally, I had one of my strategy calls last week and she was like, okay, so like, how do we move forward? Because I need you all the time. And like, I didn't even have to talk about, oh, I have a three month support package next. It's like, okay, we got in, we outlined what her strategy, everything she needed to know. And she's like, okay, but I need you to help me do this too. Done. And if, I mean, that feels so much better for me, not to mention like jumping into like bed with someone that you just met on a 20 minute discovery call for a $10,000, you know, six month contract. And you realize that this person is an absolute cuckoo case, <laughs> cuckoo case, like that doesn't feel so like I am all for little dating projects now. As like, Yeah. Know. And it gives you so much more control over how and where you spend your time. And if you, and like you had said, if you are so confident that you are going to deliver, you almost don't need to even worry about them upselling themselves. And that's exactly what it is. They've made that decision for themselves that they want more of you. Um, And I think that's the most important like difference in someone who has to make that decision to spend $10,000 on a multi-month contract with you who, if you were using the sales tactics, you could be hitting them hard with all of the messaging. You could be telling them, this is what you're going to get. This is what you're going to get. And I'm going to save you here and here compared to the energy shift of here, let's do a trial run. 
let's get a feel for each other. And then oh, you can deliver. You have no fear that any part of your offering is manipulative or missing or anything like that. And then they say, wow, I need more. That's the energy of a, like an ethical customer journey is that the person essentially takes themselves through it because you're delivering on authority, on trust, a transparency, because I think that that's like the most important factors of a sustainable business. Yeah. And if you're not sold on this yet, another happy side effect is like no more scope creep. Because I don't know how many times I've signed on to work with a client and they say they need this and this, but then you actually jump into the back end of their business and it is like a hot mess. So it's like mm-hmm. for dating projects, especially I know Rachel has a strategies offer that she's like loves too, but like these strategy sessions that allow you to get a glimpse into your like client's back end and what's really going on there and in their head and spend a substantial amount of time, like really set you up for what you need to offer next. I am a convert of the customer journey offers. Is that what they call it? Value ladder offers for sure. Yeah. I think not enough people know just how easy it makes your life when you have a customer journey set up. You get to be removed from these fearful tactics of sales and marketing and like all of these efforts that feel a little desperate and you get to live in the, wow, this was really easy. Oh my gosh, I'm attracting aligned clients and I have a choice in who I get to work with. And I think that that's something that a lot of small business owners or new business owners who are either in that lead and like client space you have a lot of nightmare clients when that choice is removed, when you're in that desperate space of, I need a retainer or I need a new client. And you'll just take anybody who you can take. It's one of those things where you start having those nightmare clients and you're like, oh yeah, this is not aligned or anything like that. So customer journey, if we need to do four or five more episodes on this, we are down to do it. <laughs> Cause it there is, are I know. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. What do we want to end with? What's the last thing we want to close on? Okay. So we've talked about honesty and transparency as far as ethical marketing. We talked about fair pricing, value delivery. We talked high ticket pricing and 10K pricings. We didn't, we'll touch on charm pricing, but charm pricing is when like you change the back end of your number just to make it it's a psychological manipulation. Just don't do that. I mean, people are like, don't insult your consumer's um, intelligence by doing that. They can figure it out in their head because it's a widely known tactic. We did want to talk a little bit about um, like the respect for like privacy as far as so your customers' emails. So let's just really quickly touch on that point and then we'll close. Yeah. One of the practices that a lot of my clients have been implementing is an option to opt out, not of the entirety of the list, but of the campaign and the promotional messaging. A lot of sensitivities maybe around Mother's Day or fertility or pregnancy, things along those ends where there's a lot of trauma rooted in there. You have the option to just mute it. And that's exactly what we do for our clients is we essentially say, you don't want to hear these messagings, mute it. We'll bring you back into the conversation once we're done talking about this. And it really does build this level of respect and just transparency for your leads and for your audience that you're aware of these kind of like trauma provoking 
triggers in your own messaging. So I think that's something to just bring in and have a little bit of space for. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. All right. So we have obviously have a lot to say about ethical marketing. So I feel like we're going to have to do a another part two. two, But I did want to just share because I feel like I'm still new on this journey and I want to honor like the sources that I am learning from. So some other resources, if this episode piqued your interest is um, the Ethical Move, which is a nonprofit organization, which um, helps online business owners sell better. They're one of the first people um, that I and resources that I found. I was actually on their team for a brief amount of time and then um, wasn't able to devote the amount of you know, time and effort and energy to it. So I moved on, but they are still like a great community to who is passionate about selling in a way that is ethical. One of my favorite podcasts is Dupe the Dark Side of Online Business. I love it just because um, it really brought to light to me like a lot of the like practices that I didn't even know were wrong. And Maggie and Michelle were really able to just break them down and talk about like why these practices are wrong and just shed light and help me do better. Um, so those are just two resources that I've definitely leaned into when learning about how to be a more ethical marketer. Yeah. And as you go through this journey of getting further towards ethical, Don't feel this kind of like shame that you can't do it all at once. 99% of businesses are participating in some sort of manipulation or unethical tactic. So you are changing the entire structure of your business when you do make this decision to change your ways. But I promise you, as you certain, as you make these shifts, you'll own, you'll feel better about your own business and you'll remove the ick and you'll feel less salesy because your business is set up in a more like energetically non-manipulative way. So don't make this kind of, don't feel the need to make all of these changes at once. Slowly make the shift, but then also just honor the fact that like you're doing more than a lot of people already are. 